said to me, uh, we, we need to hear more sermons that are relevant and deal with current day topics. And I said, thank you uh, for your advice. And I said, the Bible is always relevant, and the topics that the scripture deals with are always contemporary. I don't quite like how the lectionary left out the first four verses, because they're key to understanding what Paul is trying to communicate. And let me read those first four verses for you. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry, and so on. We live in a culture that is very confused about the identities of each and every person born. We're confused about the relationship to the physical body and the nature of the soul. We're confused about what it means to be a person, what it means to be a human being, that each and every human being is created in the glorious image of God, male and female, God created us. And each life has infinite value, period, full stop. Every human life has an infinite value. And we are a very confused culture, and that confusion has infiltrated and contaminated the church. We begin to think like the world. We begin to use the world's categories for identifying who we are. Life is difficult. Sin has had, the, the sin and fall of Adam has had a tremendous holistic effect on the human being, on the soul, on our psyche. And so this is not to diminish the struggles that each one of us go through. And how the fall of Adam, our first father, has contaminated and polluted the way we think, the way we act, the way we know, the way we understand what life is all about. And so the passage that we have, Colossians 3, 5 to 15, take for granted verses 1 through 4. And verses 1 through 4 are very similar to Romans chapter 6. And those two passages, Romans chapter 6 
and Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, are key to self-identification as a Christian. Who are you? Who am I? What has Christ actually accomplished for us? Who are we in Christ? What is the extent of the sacrificial sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? And so Paul uses the gospel, that event, those events and sequence of events during Passion Week, his breaking of bread, his sharing the cup, his beatings, crown of thorns, being brutalized, spit upon, nails through his hands and feet, a sword through his side, his last cries, last breath of air, the stone of the tomb being rolled to close off that tomb, and then his glorious resurrection. And so Paul takes a very unique and theologically revolutionary understanding of the human person. And what had happened with the first Adam and the pervasiveness of sin and death. The second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, then reverses. And each and every baptized person and every person that trusts and calls upon the name of the Lord isn't just given a ticket to heaven, but their actual identity is radically changed. And Paul calls each one of us to live in accordance with that identity. That we are to live as if we died with Christ. We are to live as if we were buried with him. We are to live as if we were clinging to his body. And his life is our life. And when he was raised, we were raised. This is the Christian identity. And we should not allow the things, the thinking, the agenda, the narrative of the world to infiltrate how we think. But it always does. It infiltrated in Ephesus. It infiltrated in Rome. It infiltrated in Thessalonica in Philippi, and now in Colossae. Because the world is incredibly adept and powerful at catechizing us. It tells us over and over that if it feels good, we should follow that pathway. And how we feel, how we understand, how we think is really the measure of who we are. But Christ, in his triumphal resurrection and glorious ascension, says absolutely not. When you were baptized, you were united to Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And Paul says, if this is the case, or really a more accurate translation of Colossians 3.1, since 
this is the case. Our minds should be focused on kingly things, on kingdom things, on the way Christ thinks, on the way Christ perceives things, on the way uh, Christ has called us. And I have seen over and over again that the church has not been very successful in promoting a biblical Christian catechism of who that little baptized baby really is, of who that person who comes to faith in Christ in more mature years, who they really are. And so Paul, with this understanding that he received from the Lord Jesus Christ, this is not something that he developed and made up in a philosophy classroom. The gospel is something that Paul says, I received from Christ and I now give it to you. We're in a Lutheran church. Lutherans love a, what we call a law and gospel distinction. And so starting in verse 5, Paul is laying down the law. What we are obligated to do because we have received eternal life from Christ. And what does he say? He wants everyone in this room to be a murderer. A radical, unyielding murderer of our sin. He wants us to take the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, and he wants us to put it to death every day day in, day out, when the thinking and conduct of the world creeps in, we take out the sword of the Spirit and we put it to death. The church will be far more successful when we start identifying ourselves and attempting to live as those who have died and been raised with Christ by our baptism and by faith. There is no more re relevant passage than verses 5 through 15 of Colossians. Put to death, therefore, those things that are earthly in you. What are those things? The relevancy of sexual immorality. The relevancy of impurity, the relevancy of evil fleshly passions, the relevancy of evil desires, and how about this one? Covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Our whole country, I love America. I'm glad I was born here. I don't want to live anywhere else. But our whole economy is based on covetousness. And Americans are never satisfied with what they have. And we are taught that from an early, early age. And Paul says, kill it. Murder it. Put it to death. Notice what he says in verse 7. 
You used to walk that way. That was your daily walk. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness was the, the warp and woof of your life. Every day, every morning, every afternoon and evening. But he says, put it to death. In a parallel passage in Ephesians, he says, stop walking like the Gentiles. Christians love to walk like the Gentiles. Paul says, stop it. Stop it. Be why? Well, two reasons. Notice what he says here in verse 6. Because on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. Those who live unrepentant lives, it's not those who are perfect, those who have accomplished, those who have achieved, those who have reached the level of perfection, that will never happen here on earth. But as we come up to the altar each week, we are asking again for forgiveness and for power to live each day as people who we really are. People who have died with Christ, people who have been raised with Christ, and people who are united to Christ. But those who do not repent should be warned that the wrath of God is coming. The word wrath isn't just anger, isn't just God being mean, it's as pure righteous judgment. He's giving, going to give people what they want and deserve. And Christ came to push the wrath of God aside and to deliver to us through water, through bread, and through wine, and through his word, mercy. Mercy a new identity, a new community, a new way to live, a new way to think, a transforming of the mind, a taking into captivity the thinking of Christ. And then he calls us to two glorious things, which in a Lutheran building we would call gospel. He's, he's pounded us fairly hard with the law, but he gives us now the gospel. 3.15 of Colossians. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Why do we need the peace of God? We need the peace of God because no one has accomplished the perfection of the perfect Christian life. Because sometime during this week you may have an impure thought. Sometimes this week you won't be content with the life that Christ has given you. And our life in Christ is not accomplished by our doing 
but it is what Christ has done. And so we rest in that peace of the accomplished, finished work of Christ for us on our behalf. That is the peace of God which passes all understanding to keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and of the love of God. It's that Christ did everything that we need. That does not negate our obligation to act like his brothers and sisters. But it does give us a peace that as we strive by the Holy Spirit and his grace to live like Christ, our destiny is not dependent on our works, it is accomplished and dependent on Christ. And then finally, verse 16, Colossians 3:16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ. What is the word of Christ? The word of Christ is the apostolic corpus, the Bible, which was handed down from the Father to the Son and from Jesus Christ to the apostles, and now it sits on our laps or on our smartphones. It's what Jesus said to the disciples moments before he ascended. Make disciples of these people, of these nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Those who are in union with Christ and understand their identity and strive to live that way have an appetite and desire to know and to read and to study and to hear God's holy word, the word of Christ. I pastor a church of former Episcopalians and they were trained very well that the altar is very important and is at the center of our worship as reformed Catholics, as Anglicans. But they were also trained that the word of God can be dealt out in eight-minute sermons, in five-minute homilies, in ten-minute poetic thoughts. And frankly, their lives and the lives of their children exemplify that. And it's sad. And they wonder why their children and grandchildren don't want to come to church. Because they haven't seen the walls of the church, the community of God's people, to be the life raft that will get us to heaven. Where we are fed by words, by water, by wine, and by bread. And that without those means of grace, we are not fed. Those are the tools that Christ ordained to feed his people. And when we absence ourselves from those, we are starving ourselves to death.
I would encourage you to look at those two verses, verse 15 and 16. Is that where your hope is? The peace of Christ, the word of Christ. Is that where I look for refuge, for strength, for hope, for the power to get through another week? Because that's what Christ has given us. That's the life raft that he has thrown out to us. He calls us to love him and to live like him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.